Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Practicology Podcast, where we are bridging the gap between the world of the Bible and the world you live in. And in this episode, we're continuing in our Psalm 103 series. This is all part of the Practicology Podcast August Summer Challenge to memorize the whole of Psalm 103. And I'm here with my co-host, Matthew. Matthew, how are you doing on this challenge? I am making some progress. I'm going to give a try of it right here on the air in a moment. But uh, to be honest, initially, I wasn't planning on getting into this until August when everyone else is. But of course, here we are recording this still in July. So I'm making excuses already. But uh, I'm going to give it a try. You have the text there handy, Mike, to correct me where I slip up, which is likely to happen. All right. Ooh, I'll be happy to. Psalm 103, probably too happy. Psalm 103 of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He has shown his ways to Moses. He made known his ways. Thank you. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide. He will not keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Great job, Matthew. That's uh, that's Whew. excellent. Yeah, I got a little bit nervous there, knowing that we were recording too. But <laughs> yeah, thank no, you. good stuff. Well, to me, Mike, it's very fitting that we're talking not only about the teaching from Psalm 103, but about memorizing these verses too. Mike, I hadn't told you this before, but when we first started getting our children to memorize Scripture, one of the first texts we did was Psalm 103, verse eight. I think we had done a bunch of verses in John 3 with them previously also, but the reason I grabbed Psalm 103 verse 8 is that I wanted a selection of scriptures that told them who God is. So we did John 4, God is spirit. 1 John, God is light and God is love. 1 Corinthians 1, God is faithful. Nahum 1, I love those words. The Lord is a jealous and an avenging God. The Lord is good and a stronghold in the day of trouble. And Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I think that's an excellent idea, Matthew. Uh, So happy to hear that from the outset, you were teaching them what God is like. And that obviously reflects what we want to talk about today from Psalm 103. Your title for today's podcast is, What You Think of God is the Most Important Thing About You. Yeah, well, the title is a borrowed title from A.W. Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy, but what we think of God is most important. We were made by God and for God, and our lives are most meaningful and joyful when we are walking closely with God. This is eternal life, John 17, that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So what we think of God is vital. Absolutely. But your title has a little caveat, I notice. And that makes this discussion a little more interesting. It's not just what you think of God is important, but it's the most important thing about you. That may sound a little curious to some of our listeners. So what are you getting at there? 
Well, you got us started on this in the last episode, Mike. Episode 27 looked at the first five verses of Psalm 103, where David is blessing the Lord and thanking him for how he blesses us. He satisfies us with good. So David wasn't just trying to pump himself up with positive self-talk or an extra dose of self-esteem, nor was he taught to think the earth revolved around him. He was thinking about how great the Lord was. He was recounting the great things the Lord had done for him. His dignity, you said, flowed from what God thought of him. God loved him. And it's the same for you, brothers and sisters who are listening today. Not only will right thoughts about God give you a proper and balanced sense of your own dignity, it's going to determine how you worship and pray, how you structure your life, how you raise your children, what you value and how you use your money. And it's going to massively influence your joy in life. And joy is a big thing, brothers and sisters. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, etc. And while I have said before in this podcast that I haven't been a user of catechisms, I do know the first question and answer of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Remember that document, everybody? The Westminster Shorter Catechism is actually a foundational document for Presbyterians today. Remember the great Scottish reformer John Knox of the 16th century. Impressed by what he saw of John Calvin's work in Geneva, he returned to Scotland and implemented Sunday afternoon catechism classes. And that tradition carried over into the 17th century in the Westminster Assembly, who was tasked with reforming the Church of England. Samuel Rutherford would be another name, hopefully known to some listeners who contributed to the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Anyway, there's your history lesson for the day, Mike. Thank you, Matthew. And I appreciate you mentioning my Uncle John as well. Excellent. Okay. So, the first line of the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks this question, what is the chief end of man? Mike, do you know the answer in the catechism? Well, let me try. Uh, The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Very good. I knew I could count on my good friend Mike Knox to be well-established in that old product of Reformed theology. Thank you, Mike. I'm so glad I never let you down. (laughs) man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Brothers and sisters, if we're going to have joy in our Christian lives, we need to enjoy God. And if we are going to enjoy God, we need to know what he's like. Psalm 103 helps us in that. And the reason many of us, saints and sinners, sometimes have wrong thoughts about ourselves is that we have wrong thoughts about God. The wrong thoughts about ourselves may be overly critical, or at other times they may be of exalted self-importance, but proper Christian humility and freedom and joy flows from a right assessment of God. Yes, so true. You're preaching to the choir here, Matthew, but why don't you bring us back to Psalm 103 now? Verse 6 says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And I love how that sounds. But help us out with that, because the quest for justice in society is a big thing in our culture today. And some people might be wondering, where is this righteousness and justice of which you're speaking? Yeah, a fair question, a good question, a big question. So um, can I give a three-part answer? Well, that probably means I'm going to have to think harder about your answer than I was hoping, but why don't you go for it? All right. Where is the righteousness and justice for the oppressed that the Lord is said to work Well, number one, at the forefront of David's mind when he writes this psalm is God's covenant people, Israel. Notice verse 7 that follows verse 6. It says, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. 
And one of human civilization's great acts of righteousness and justice for the oppressed was the redemption of Israel from slavery in Egypt. The Lord says to Moses in Exodus 3, Behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good land flowing with milk and honey. Joseph was a son of Israel. He had saved Egypt. But there arose a Pharaoh over Egypt who knew not Joseph, and he ruthlessly made Israel slaves of bitterly hard work. And the Lord worked righteousness for those oppressed people. And he did it again in history for Israel, and he will do it yet again in an era yet to come. But the second part of my answer to your question about where is justice and righteousness for the oppressed is to look at the redemption that the Exodus story foreshadowed. As much as some people do have more power than others in our unjust society today, bear in mind that we are all actually an oppressed people. That's not to play a victim card by any stretch, but the greatest oppression in our world today, the reason there is any oppression to begin with is the power of that cruel taskmaster called sin. And when the Lord Jesus was here and stood up in the synagogue in Nazareth, what a glorious day that must have been. He stood up to read the scriptures. He read the words of Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. His first coming was not to deliver Israel from the political oppression of Rome. It was to deliver sinners from the oppression of sin. And the Lord worked righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed when he took the just judgment of God against our sin on the cross so that God can be just and the justifier of the one who believes in Jesus because Christ, the righteous one, has suffered for us, the unrighteous. The verse that often gets left out of Charles Wesley's great hymn says, His love my heart has captive made, his captive would I be. For he was bound and scourged and died, my captive soul to free. Mm, that sounds delightful. I wish I had a thousand tongues to sing it, but I just have one tongue. And with that one tongue, I will recap what you're saying here. Uh, verse six of this psalm says that the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And you're saying first, that points to Israel's history. Second, it points to our own redemption from sin. And the third part of your answer is... The third part is the Lord is a God of righteousness and justice. In fact, Psalm 89, 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. And we will at times see that in this age. And yet often we need to accept that we need to be patient and wait for the day when the son of righteousness will arrive with healing in his wings and he will reign in righteousness over all the earth in his coming kingdom. There is abundant injustice in our society at both an individual level and one-to-one -one relationships and at a systemic level. I noted these wise, wise words recently from Karen Swallow Pryor. She said, you don't have to be a feminist to acknowledge that sexism exists. You don't need to be an environmentalist to put your trash in a garbage can. And you don't have to support CRT, critical race theory, to see the lingering effects of racial injustice today. It's true. You don't need to embrace wokeness to admit that many of our societies have been organized in unjust ways. And the oppressed may cry out, when is it going to be fixed? And the answer is when Jesus comes. And if you want to enter a kingdom where righteousness reigns, whatever your circumstances today, you need to be born again through faith in the Lord Jesus. 
Hmm. And until that day when the Lord returns, we we say, how long, Lord? How long? But Matthew, what else? What what are we to do while we wait for that perfect rain to come? Yeah, well, that is a, a question that is bigger than this one episode, but we should preach the gospel to all men so that they can enter God's kingdom. And we should certainly not be uncaring about the plight of suffering people. There are ways we can help. And we are saying that what we think about God is the most important thing about us because what we believe about who God is will impact how we try to represent him in the world. We were created in the image of God. We are to represent him. And the way that I interact with people in and outside the church, the way I deal with my children, my business dealings, all of that should reflect that the God I know and serve works righteousness and justice. And brothers and sisters, when you suffer wrongfully, and I know some of you do, what will help you to endure with patience is knowing the Lord works righteousness and justice for his oppressed people. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, Romans 12. Well, I think there are some mistreated saints who will take encouragement from what you're saying, Matthew. And I just want to help you move along now to verse 8. This verse tells us some more wonderful things about the Lord, that he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Praise the Lord. And while I thank you for moving me along, Mike, I still want us to see verse light, verse 8 in light of verse 7, the reference to Moses and Israel. Because it seems when David writes these words now at verse 8, he's still reflecting on the Exodus story. When the Lord renewed the covenant and told Moses to make two more stone tablets, Exodus 34 says, uh, the Lord descended in the cloud and proclaimed the name of the Lord. What a fascinating statement. And then the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And certainly when we say he is merciful and gracious, we are not saying he turns a blind eye to sin or he's never displeased with our actions. In fact, the text of Psalm 103 shows this merciful and gracious God does have anger. And the Lord Jesus showed us that too when he was here. But the psalm statements about the Lord's anger are actually intended in this context to reinforce his mercy and grace. In his gracious character, he is slow to anger. And he doesn't stay angry, verse 9. Too often we are the opposite. We're quick to anger. And then we hold grudges. God is slow to anger. And he forgives because he is merciful and gracious. Jim Flanagan's commentary on the psalm points out that in the Hebrew, these adjectives are in an intensive form, merciful and gracious. Then he says, the greatness of his compassions and his mercy seem to defy human language. But this is how he has been toward his people. And again, in that Exodus story, this was presented as the proclamation of the Lord's name. So when David quotes that here on Psalm 103, he's really trying to teach us the essential character of God, the God who redeems us and satisfies us with good. This God is everything we truly need. Brothers and sisters, let's learn and relearn and re-relearn to be satisfied in God to enjoy him and to bless him for how merciful and gracious he is in our lives. Amen. And Matthew, I'd love to hear you just share a little bit about how you've seen the mercy and grace of God in your own life. Yeah, well, number one, I'm still alive. That's a big one. 
I'm alive to praise the Lord because the wages of sin is death, but he does not deal with us according to our sins, verse 10. And I'm still alive to praise him. And I know the experiences of everyone aren't identical, but the Lord brought the gospel to me and saved me, and I did not deserve that. He is merciful and gracious. That is a massive, unspeakable benefit. He's given me a local church family that is patient with me and encouraging and supportive to me and my family that I love to be among. I don't deserve that. He is merciful and gracious. He's given me friends like you, Mike, who have challenged me and helped me in my Bible study. He enables me, beset with pride and discouragement, selfishness and waywardness, he enables me still to preach his glorious gospel. He places this treasure of the gospel in lowly jars of clay because he is gracious and merciful. The Apostle Paul really got this. I'm thinking now of the words of 1 Corinthians 15. I am the least of the apostles, he says, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Yeah, thanks, Matthew. It's wonderful to recount all his benefits and, and to hear others do it, as, as we heard David in verse 2. And your last quotation from 1 Corinthians 15, it catches my attention. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I think that is the perfect capturing summary of, of what you're communicating today, how what you think about God is the most important thing about you. Good point. Yeah, because we preach this in the gospel and then sometimes forget it in our walk as saints. So we need to keep preaching the gospel to ourselves. I am accepted with my God 100%. And 0% of that is owing to my own self-righteousness. It is 100% in the Lord Jesus. He is my righteousness. And Jesus Christ, the righteous, is seated at the right hand of God and he is not changing. Do I stumble? Yes. Do I sin? Yes. Am I sometimes unjustly quick to anger? Yes. As I say that, there's a, a few instances from my history, more than a few that come to mind. A am I sometimes unfair in my treatment of others? Yes. Am I accepted? Yes. Am I going to heaven? Yes, because the Lord is merciful and gracious. So the nature and character of God are liberating for me. No, I don't continue in sin that grace may abound, Romans 5 and 6, but I don't need to cower in my bedroom afraid that if I interact with the world, I might mess up. I don't need to browbeat myself with what a wimp I am or what a weak Christian I am. I don't need to give up on my Christian walk or my church fellowship thinking, oh man, if these people really knew my thoughts, they wouldn't want me there. Listen, listen to the words of A.W. Tozer. Jesus Christ knows the worst about you. Nevertheless, he is the one who loves you most. Jesus Christ knows the worst about you. Nonetheless, he is the one who loves you most. He is able to make you stand, and he will. Friends, let's get a hold of this. The Lord is merciful and gracious. And let's show the mercy and grace of our Lord to one another. Wonderful, Matthew. Thank you so much for bringing us to the heart of our God. And I just noticed that the verse doesn't say merely that the Lord has mercy and grace, but that this is what the Lord is. Our God, Yahweh, is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Of course, he revealed those words about himself after his people had, had sinned with the golden calf incident. David is repeating these words and enjoying them likely after he had that terrible fall and sin with Bathsheba and killing Uriah and so on. 
And, uh, and you and I and all who are listening, we too can recall so many times we failed, we stumbled, but our Lord, it's, this is the heart of Christianity. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about the heart and character of our God. So thank you for this, Matthew. And for those of you who are listening, please just carry on with uh, working through Psalm 103 and the August Summer Challenge. In the next episode, we're going to be looking at the next section of verses, which is verses 11 to 15. Be working on them, be chewing on them, be enjoying them, and can't wait to get back together with you to think more upon the heart of our Father. Yeah, and remember to check out our Facebook page that is now live and our Instagram account. The Twitter account is also still working, of course, at M&M's Podcast, but we'd love you to share your reflections on the psalm as well. On those accounts, we'd be happy to hear from you, and we pray that you will remember to praise the Lord today. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you.